I'm Maddie. And I'm David. And you're listening to Legend Logic. topic number five is that right this is topic number five and it is things made out of human yeah body parts or mm-hmm. items made of humans yeah but you are the expert on this between the two of us for sure i freaking love this topic yeah i got really jazzed when we pulled this out if you haven't seen the video on our instagram of us picking this topic go watch it because it's funny both myself and her mom were very concerned my mom commented i know and was I like mm, i'm with david i'm concerned and yeah. i was like you literally made me so like that's your problem <laughs> that is literally your problem like i have nothing to do with that thank you goodbye and she created you just as you are you didn't gain any of that interest along the way okay but whatever if she didn't want me to be a weirdo then she wouldn't have made a weirdo like i don't know what to tell you <laughs> I don't know how much choice you had in that, but with how excited you are about this whole subject, subject, this whole subject, (laughs) I was going to say, that's what I was thinking. I don't know what that first thing you did was, but uh, yeah, Um, I just wanted to put out there that we do acknowledge that there are a lot of implications to some of these stories. Yeah. All of these, by definition, involve the desecration of human remains. We do not endorse anybody (laughs) making things out of humans. Don't do it. Yeah. So it's frowned upon in varying degrees depending on religious and cultural background by essentially everybody. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to mention that because we obviously find some of these more morbid subjects and their implications pretty interesting. And so it may seem as our conversation goes on that we lose sight of the weight of the subject, but I assure you we do recognize it and in no way intend to make light of it. Right, Maddie? Yes, we understand. I've read many a book on the subject, and I've not only read books on the subject when it regards to legends, but also ethics and Mm -hmm. history and, you know, our obligations as humans now to these objects and to these people. So, no, I do not take it lightly. It's just a super fascinating topic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, the book you read that made you so excited about this topic, the ethics of the whole thing were like a pretty significant part of that book from what yes. I remember you talking about. Yeah, which is why I don't think anybody is going to think that we do not respect this topic. <laughs> Hopefully not. But like, I feel like we like to keep things pretty light. We do. And so, I like to make a lot of jokes. I was going to say, so I don't want that to be taken the wrong way. But when we first initially picked this topic like I thought of it in relation to you talking about that book and one thing I did okay, should we just tell people what this book is you because can, I you can feel if you like want to, everybody's yeah. just gonna be like why are you talking about book yeah. like that was really attractive <laughs> feel free did to that enlighten make you them. fall in love with me more oh for sure okay um so the book that David is referencing is called uh, dark archives and it is a book written by a woman who has spent uh, the majority of her professional life studying books bound in human skin. So I read this book and fell in love with the topic because she really takes it in a lot of different directions of, 
you know, do we have the obligation to keep these because it's history or do we have the obligation to, you know, bury them or cremate them because they're technically humans? Like that kind of thing. She learns how leather is made for books and how it would be made. She doesn't obviously see it be made with human skin, but sees how that would even happen. And then she talks about all the books that have been passed off as human skin for so long that just end up being like lamb skin pig skin Mm -hmm. like not nothing like human at all yeah but anyway that is the book that he's referencing so the reason that this topic was even in the box of mystery is because of that book anyway because of that because that's sort of what put us onto the topic i didn't really think about what is likely the most prolific instance or scenario in which human trophy taking occurs like the most common scenario yeah which is in wartime sure i didn't even think of that one at first but then you know once i thought about it i was like wow there's a lot here so i'm going to talk about that and a couple different instances when it comes to that so wartime like trophies yes gross I want to start with some old examples, like ancient, because this whole thing has been going on for quite a long time. The first instance that I want to talk about is one that we were introduced to probably pretty early on in life, as well as many people that we know, which is the the collecting of foreskins that happened in the Bible. The most famous reference is actually in 1 Samuel, where David wants to marry King Saul's daughter. And in order for him to be able to do that, the king requires David to kill 200 Philistines and bring him their foreskins. How would you know that that foreskin was of a Philistine, of Philistinian origin? I mean, okay, if he has to go and collect them, why would he not do it from the Philistines? But also, Jewish people did not have them because they were already circumcised. True. Got it. Got so, it. Got it. Yeah. I just like, what did you do with these, sir? Mm-hmm. Sir King? What <laughs> What did you, did you make a soup? Mm-hmm. Did you, did you think this was the way to fountain of youth? Kind yeah. Of the, yeah. I mean, that? so, you know, when I think about that story, I really don't want to think about the actual process that he went through to get them. I just like to think of well, it. He just had to kill people, right? Yeah. But then he had to kill them probably all like in pretty quick succession and then go back over their dead bodies and like collect them. Can you them? imagine being the woman that then has to marry that traumatized PTSD man? That the would ju- you be honored? Would you be like, oh my god? I mean, especially at the time of David, I think the Israelites were pretty much continuously at war for a long time. Sure. So I feel like this wasn't like overly new. You would be so messed up by the time we got married. It would be so weird. I would. Anyways, I would. I'm sorry. I keep yeah. getting us off. Track. No, you're good. But now I want to shift over to Egypt. In 2011, some archaeologists were excavating a site in northern Egypt, and beneath the courtyard of an ancient palace, they found something pretty grisly. A cache of 12 severed right hands. Not until about a decade later, so 2021, did they know why they might be there. It could be for a variety of reasons, but the researchers concluded that likely they were taken from fallen enemies as trophies of war and exchanged for gold by the soldiers who collected them. Okay. Apparently, this is a ritual that had been found and discussed in ancient texts, but this collection of hands is the first tangible evidence that they've come across. The hands were removed extremely carefully and not haphazardly or haphazardly, excuse me, with an axe or something. At that time, for this purpose, it was a pretty delicate process, which I thought was interesting. They think that they were removed quite a while after 
the person had already died. Sure. I don't know what the timeline is. You might know better, but it was after rigor mortis had already, like, gone away. So, it takes two to six hours for rigor mortis to develop after you die, but then it only lasts for 24 to 84 hours. Okay, so it was, like, a couple days yeah. later, probably. so you could go have a battle and then go have, a like, a two-day feast and then come back around and mm -hmm. lop them off. Interesting. So now we're going to advance from these ancient examples and race forward in history quite a bit as far forward as World War II and to the Pacific Theater more specifically. So years after World War II had ended, the bodies of Japanese soldiers who had died in the Mariana Islands were repatriated to their homeland for proper burial. More than half of the bodies that returned home were returned without their heads. More than half. And this was because American soldiers had taken them as war trophies. I read an article once about a girl who was like writing a thank you note to her, like her boo thing mm -hmm. overseas, thanking him for sending her the skull of the enemy, like yeah, a I was, skull of the enemy. Yeah, I don't know if it's the same exact one, but I'll talk about something like that a okay. little bit later here. I don't know, like it could have been a separate thing because it seems like this was unfortunately relatively common sure. at the time but there was a pretty famous instance that is often referred to and it might be the same one they often used these skulls the Japanese hair heads skulls. yeah they often used them to decorate signage or sometimes they were sent home to loved ones as we were just talking about and this was no secret either but apparently it's a piece of history about world war ii that is conveniently left out of textbooks of course there is a famous picture that was published in the may 22nd 1944 issue of life magazine of a woman with a skull that had been sent to her by a navy lieutenant who had quote unquote promised her a jap two years prior oh i don't like that yeah let's not use don't use that phrase children yeah well so in that same quote that navy lieutenant said something along the lines of this is the only good kind of jap a dead jap oh yeah pretty shocking pretty terrible i don't like that derogatory word yeah that's mm -hmm. grating against my spinal cord yeah and that photo is pretty famous i i know i had seen it mm -hmm. in passing from time to time i don't think i ever read too much into what it actually was or like how terrible all the stuff surrounding it was but yeah there are also a lot of photos out there that exist of the signage you were talking mm -hmm. about yeah super creepy stuff man. yeah i agree but apparently this human trophy taking by the Allied troops became so, or it got so out of hand, that the U.S. had to officially prohibit it by arguing that it was a violation of the Geneva Convention. Now, for the record, if there are any history buffs out there, the Geneva Convention that we referred to today, I don't believe Is was signed into until after this. But there was a precursor that was also Geneva Convention of some kind. That was the precursor to the Geneva Convention that we talk about today. It's Geneva adjacent. Yeah. Now for the story that really blows my mind in relation to all of this that made me want to talk about this subject in general. At the height of the war, U.S. Representative Francis E. Walter gifted President FDR a letter opener made from a Japanese soldier's arm bone. And FDR knew this was arm bone? Yeah, he did when he first got it. I read somewhere in passing and believe it's in one of the sources that will be linked in the description, but or in the show notes rather. I've been watching too much YouTube. Doesn't matter. Description, <laughs> show notes, same diff. 
at the time he was presented it because I believe it happened like on camera or something. It was something that was public that he was gifted this, that he didn't actually touch it. He refused Good. to touch it, but he like, he looked at it and then he went and like lit a cigarette or something along those lines. Uh, he was like, I need a drink, guys. Yeah. This is, ah. Yeah, it was very public. So I feel like he hesitated to, you know, act out of disgust or anything at the time either. So, so he just sort of act, reacted sort of neutrally. Do you think he was disgusted or do you think he really did want to touch it? And he no, was just, okay. I, I, I think he was pretty disturbed by it. He did later order that the bone be repatriated and given a proper burial, sure. as was done with many of the human trophies collected at the time by modern day. But the fact that a U.S. representative at the time thought it was okay to do something like that, it's a representative of what the general culture and general population probably felt about it at the time. The reason I told sort of two stories from modern day and two stories from history is that there's an interesting correlation that happens. The first two stories, the ancient ones, there seemed to be some sort of practical reason for why they were collecting these human trophies, right? The first one in the Bible, I can see why the king would be like, I want, I want you to get these because it proves he is a valiant warrior, which was important at the time, and someone who's like has a lot of bravery, which again, in ancient times, you know, he might want for his daughter to be taken care of. And then the mm -hmm. second one is these soldiers were probably collecting it because they wanted to bring it back and get some cha-ching for it. And another example I found that was referenced pretty often in the different sources I looked at was Scythian warriors, which is a group of people that I didn't actually know a lot about until I looked into it. They would present to their king the heads of enemies to claim their share of the plunder that they would get from battle. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, so like another sort of that's practical... Sad, but it makes sense. Yeah, another sort of practical reasoning for it as it relates to ancient human trophy taking. Yeah, pretty much any fantasy novel you read, the assassin or the warrior or the, the servant that, mm -hmm. you know, is sent to kill whoever has to bring the head back yeah, yeah or or has to bring back like the hand with the king's ring on it or mm -hmm. something like you know what i mean like yeah wild but i thought it was interesting that this act of human trophy taking has continued to occur throughout history as most recently as i found in afghanistan yeah so like pretty recently but there is no logical practical reason for Anymore. that now yeah and i don't so i think it's interesting that it continues to happen so my first question for you is why do you think this is a practice that continues to persist throughout history <sighs> she's cracking her neck she's like warming up for this. okay yeah. so you're saying like most recently is like afghanistan mm -hmm. i would say and this is not me trying to get in any type of political debate at all so sure. like don't come for me because like i don't care yeah. um I would say racism probably has a lot to, to do with it, but I also think you're taking a bunch of young men out of their country, putting them on a base where maybe they have absolutely nothing to do all day. They have one exciting battle. That sounds bad, not exciting, but mm -hmm. they do one big thing sure. and then they're sitting there again for three more months and then yeah. they do one big thing and then they're just sitting there for three. Like war is not constantly battle, 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 battle. I could 100% see the fact that you're sending a bunch of 18-year-old boys over to another country and telling them those people are the enemy, that's bad, they need to die, America forever, mm -hmm. whatever. They are less than human mm -hmm. because they don't yeah. look like us, they don't sound like us, they don't think like us. It's very easy to be so wrapped up in what you're involved in that you don't see it for what it is or mm -hmm. you don't necessarily 
understand all of the ramifications of what you're doing. I would assume that most of the people who took trophies in Afghanistan were either A, young and dumb, mm-hmm. B, they had a vendetta, or C, there's just something we don't know going on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was sort of a combination of racism, dehumanization of the enemy yeah. that you were talking about. That's the word I was looking for, dehumanization. <laughs> there well, was a moment where I was like, what is that word? Yeah. I, I got to think about it more and write it here in my right. notes. So. And then I said the callousness that occurs as a side effect of war. So sort of as you were talking about, they're in this scenario where it's like us versus them continuously. There's death happening all around them, and they sort of become callous to it, at least temporarily. Yeah. over that time period. My other question, do you think that human trophy collecting, do you find it any less disturbing during wartime versus, say, a serial killer doing it with his victims, his or her victims? I will say that I find it more disturbing to take war crime trophies because, hear me out, a serial killer is... They're psychotic. They're mm. insane. They're narcissistic. There's something. There is something wrong up mm-hmm. here that that's not not clicking, clearly, socially, mentally, whatever. Mm-hmm. And they take trophies to remember that adrenaline and remember those kills. Mm-hmm. And that's a sickness. That's not cool. Not a good thing. Real bad. Yeah. But to think that we have men and women fighting for the United States whose brains work like that. Hmm. Super freaking terrifying to me. Absolutely. And anybody who took home a trophy of war, I would want them analyzed, psychoanalyzed for Mm. serial killer tendencies, 100%. You cannot tell me that if you can genuinely say, this hand is worth putting in my bag and flying back to the United States with, Mm -hmm. that you you don't have serial killer characteristics. Interesting, yeah. I'm sorry. This is, oh, gross. (laughs) I think that's a really interesting take. I think... You know, I find when it's done by a serial killer to be a little more disturbing because it feels more close to home because it could be happening like right around us. Okay. But I see what you're saying in that it almost to a different extent, it feels closer to home because it's like more your, yeah, Yeah. it's more like your average, like everyday person potentially. Right. Right. So, yeah. Like, I'm imagining, I don't think he listens to the show, so it's fine. My boss is a veteran. I'm literally imagining finding out that brought home a human trophy. Mm -hmm. That would be a gajillion times scarier than meeting John Wayne Gacy, Ed Kemper, and Ted Bundy in the same room at the same time. Genuinely. Wow. He's like normal. He's a good leader. He's a a productive person. He's a family Mm -hmm. guy. Like, and to find out that that normal human being went to Afghanistan, fought, and brought home something of a human body part, Mm -hmm. and then continued to live their normal life and be productive in American society, Mm -hmm. would would literally, literally freak me out. Wow. Literally freak me out. Literally. Yeah, and if you listen to this, I'm so sorry. I I know that you don't collect human body parts. And if you did at some point, do not tell Maddie. Don't tell me, but he didn't. He's, He's a good person. Yeah. I feel like modern humans have the opportunity for global perspective mm-hmm. way more than they did in World War II. Sure. So it makes more sense that they would take a trophy in World War II when this race of people mm-hmm. are, is completely foreign. Like, yeah. this is not somebody that you see all the time. This is, this is not 
a um, normal happenstance for you. Mm -hmm. Whereas today, if you took the body part of literally anybody of any ethnicity, that would be freaking weird of you. Yeah. Because it's all normal. We all have this global home Mm -hmm. and we're all the same. So like... Yeah, yeah. And I came in passing to an article that was talking about how the Japanese were like the far enemy versus the, you know, the Germans and the Italians as like the near enemy, quote unquote. In geography, I'm pretty sure that Japan is closer to us than Italians. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know, for a long time throughout history, Japan was just also more isolated as well. Okay. And so I feel like Americans were more exposed to German culture and Italian culture than Japanese culture. And we were also having this discussion outside of the podcast when we were doing our research in that when we look back at World War II, we immediately think of the Germans and Hitler as like the main enemy and as the but ones that, that, the that we like demonize the most because we have the we have luxury of knowing everything that was going on at the time. At least for a large part of World War Two, Americans didn't know everything that was happening with the concentration camps and stuff. But and they did know what the Japanese did to did, them. Yeah, with Pearl Harbor and everything. So it was easier to dehumanize and demonize those, you know, taking place in Japan. So I have a question. Mm-hmm. Um, if you found out that your great-grandfather had a skull or something from World War II, you found it in like the mm-hmm. in the archives of stuff your family has, what would you do with it? I mean, first of all, I think you're greatly exaggerating how long ago World War II was because my grandma fought in World War II. Okay, well, my <laughs> family's generations are much shorter That's than true. yours. <laughs> so... Yeah, my grandma, she just died, I think, at 98, and she was in the military during World War II. I would look into how to repatriate how to get it. it back. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I have no interest in keeping that whatsoever. No, and I didn't think that you would. I'm just curious, like, what steps you would have to take, like, what organizations you can go yeah. through. Are there nonprofits for that? Like, how does that work? Do you contact a museum? I feel like the first thing I would reach out to, or the first group I would reach out to was some kind of society of, like, Japanese Americans, okay. potentially, or some sort of World War II history society. So, in your brain, that item is, even though it's a piece of history, it being a human supersedes that piece of history for you. You need it to go back to Japan and be buried or what have you Mm -hmm. because it's a human. You do not think it should be preserved as a piece of history. If there was any way to figure out, you know, modern day descendants of that person, they should get to decide. I don't think it would be up to me to make that decision. Why? I tend to think that as awful, 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 awful Mm -hmm. as history was, good, bad, or ugly, it should be preserved so that generations can learn from it. Teaching our kids what really happened throughout Mm -hmm. history is extremely important. Sure. Yeah. Even if we were the bad guys. Mm -hmm. Oh, for sure. I 100% agree with that. I think that, like, I wouldn't have any issue if I reached out to, like, a historical society or a group of Japanese Americans and they decided that this is what should happen with it, or if I, you know, ended up being repatriated to Japan and then the Japanese government was like we want to keep this as a historical artifact of some kind I wouldn't have any issue with that in that situation so let me ask you this if it was not a Japanese skull but let's say it was an 
an American skull from, I don't know, your great, 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 great grandfather that fought in the Civil War or fought like on U.S. soil and it was an American skull. Mm-hmm. would you feel different about it? What would you do with it then? Like, would it mean as much to get it back to its rightful place? Yeah, I do think it would. I, I mean, like if I thought it was of historical significance in that situation, then I would I would still reach out to some sort of historical society. But to your know intent it. would be keep this piece of history, not bury it. It's a human. Yeah. I don't think it necessarily has to do like I don't think my response to either of them necessarily is leaning overly strongly towards because it's a human I think it should be buried versus even though it's a human I think it should be preserved for history I think it just has more to do with sensitivity and you know being respectful of who has the rights to decide those things that makes sense wait so what side of it are you on in terms of you feel like your first thought was like, we need to preserve it for history, historical purposes. Correct. Okay. However you choose to preserve that part of history, it does need preserved. We'll talk about it more in my episode. That's the only way I can okay. put it because it's it's different in my head hmm. when so there are things that change my perspective about it. Mm-hmm. So say that you find a Japanese skull from, you know, an old family member of some kind you find a way to preserve it in you know through a historical society in the US or something and then the Japanese government was like we want this back do you feel like it should go back to them if they want it back my instinct my reflex would be yes give it back yeah but my brain would pause hmm. yeah i mean i think unfortunately as it relates to history i think the US is far more often on the wrong side of that than the right side in terms of like people not giving things back i think it's and this was highlighted in like one of the beginning scenes of i believe it was the first black panther movie like it happens a lot with like african artifacts that we have Mm. here in the u.s that africans want back yeah because these things were stolen and they feel they should have them back but they are preserved in like american museums for historical purposes. Interesting. Yeah. So it. I mean, it's a real debate that. I mean, happening. I guess that I'm. I'm part of the problem because my brain thinks like that, where it's like. No, I mean, I, I, mean, I want the history to be there so badly yeah. that I. I probably lose sight of a lot of people's feelings when it comes to history. So I'm part of the problem. Mm-hmm. If if that's if that's the conversation that we're having, then I'm part of the problem because a lot of times I will opt to learn about something and want to see it and want to experience it and want to be close to history Mm -hmm. and if everybody gave everything back to everybody that it belonged to Mm -hmm. we probably wouldn't have that option in a lot of ways yeah and i mean i would think in a perfect world there's a way to you know share those sorts of artifacts with other countries so that that kind of history is accessible well it's getting there where like you can do it virtually and online and you can do online tours and they can share like artifacts that's why they do like um exhibits that tour from museum to museum i think it's just unfortunate like with obviously the really painful history there is with you know the u.s and africans that you know it's not the U.S.'s right to keep a lot of those things because they were stolen in a very, very inhumane and painful way. Well, this was cheerful. Yeah. I mean, did we, did we really think... Cheer? Yeah, I mean, did anybody click on this episode Thinking it was going to be cheer? cheerful? Yeah, probably not. Um, 
no, maybe they thought it would be a little more whimsical than it ended up being. Perhaps. We okay. can do whimsical. Whimsical. But we didn't do that today. Okay, weird question. Make it a little whimsical. Okay. If I died mm -hmm. and you could keep one body part of mine. Absolutely not. What would you keep? No. You have to keep something. What is it? Do I my really? My finger, my arm. I have to keep yeah. something? Yeah. I'm making you decide. I don't want to keep, keep any body parts. What? <laughs> I do not want to keep. <laughs> I don't want to keep any either, but if I it's had to. It's all creepy. You can't say any of it without sounding creepy. Perhaps the skull is like I the least creepy thing. I really love your eyes, but I would you never want to keep them like in a keep jar. Them. They would oh, like you preserved could. in like formaldehyde or whatever. You could have them taxidermied in some or way, like maybe? keep a jar of your teeth somewhere. Like, bro. Yeah, all very strange. So no, thank you. I would keep your skull, especially if we had kids, so that way I could be like, this is how giant your dad's head was. Look, children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they would probably they're probably if we ever have kids they're probably gonna have no larger <laughs> we're not having big-headed children i'm not craniums. pushing out big-headed children i do have a large skull i'm sorry big old head mm -hmm. all right well we hope you've enjoyed this episode if you want you can follow us on instagram at legend logic podcast you can send us an email at legend logic podcast at gmail.com you can listen to us on everything we are on everything now. Everything. Everything. So you can listen to us anywhere. Yeah. You find podcasts. I've always wanted to say that because other podcasters get to say that. You can listen to us here or anywhere you find podcasts. Yay. Yay. Um, we hope you keep listening and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.